0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God into the life he created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help, prayer of any kind, or if you give your life to the Lord today, send us an email at, at thecrossing.cc. We would love to hear from you so a member from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. Praise God. It's going to be a good day. Already has been a good day here. Welcome to everybody who's watching us online. We're just glad you're here. And as always, I believe, uh, as Pastor York was saying, it's by no accident. I I, I know I say that every single Sunday and you think, again, Uh, I, I believe every day is ordained by God. And I believe every message is ordained by God. Every time we get together, I believe he's got a plan. And so I'm just excited that you're here. I'm also excited, I gotta say, I got a dear, 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 dear friend. Pastor Glenn King right here was one of my dearest friends in all the world right there. I'm telling you, me and Pastor Glenn have been through all kinds of stuff together. We got stories on each other that we have vowed never to tell (laughs) so that we keep each other covered because we know each other that well. So uh, I, I love Glenn King, man. I love Glenn King. So I'm glad he's here with us. Gang, we're going to uh, just go ahead and kick the football. I, um, I, I woke up about two this morning. So you will tell you, I woke up about two and grabbed my iPad. Uh, I, I wouldn't call this a sermon. I don't even know what, I don't know what you call this, Glenn. Uh, it's just a word. I mean, that's all it is. It's just a word. And uh, specifically, it has to do with, I felt very compelled that God was bringing people to this room who are in some private battles? Private meaning maybe somebody else knows, but you're fighting a private war. In fact, let me just go ahead and yank the covers off this whole thing. Uh, there's not a human in here that isn't fighting some kind of a private something. All of us. That's just life. And uh, we've got the the the, the version of ourselves, and we should. It's it's only safe. You, you know, you bring your best version to church, guys. You don't want a bunch of Christians beating you up. So you you bring your best version. Of yourself to church, as you should. Everybody doesn't want to know our business. But uh, we also, while we're here projecting a, a pretty together version of ourselves. we sit in these services, and I come up here and, and, and preach services, but I got another track going. You know what I'm saying? There's another something getting worked on in here, and it's it's, a, it's always a private battle. There's always a private something going on, be it a fear, be it a temptation, be it a second guessing yourself, being an insecurity, being it a resentment toward your spouse. Uh, there's always something. Have you noticed? And so, and so you guys, so this is what I do. I do expect you to look holy as if I'm preaching to somebody else. <laughs> now, I know how this goes. So you do that. But here's what I also know everybody in here, uh, if you're 120 years old in the Lord or if you just came to faith this morning, uh, everybody here has got something we're wrestling against. And uh, I want to read to you the, the word that, I, that God gave me. This is out of Romans 8, and it's, it's a refrigerator verse. I, I, it's a re- refrigerator verse. What I mean by that is it's on your refrigerator. And the problem, if there is a problem with the word, and there isn't, but the problem with us is when we have a, ver- a verse that we're used to saying, over time we lose respect for the power that that verse has. You know, so you just kind of throw it out there. For God's love of the word, gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in the Lord, you know, we kind of throw the word out there because we know what it says. I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to try to hear this like you're hearing it for the first time. And I want to explain this is Romans 8. I'm gonna start in verse 26 before we get to, uh, before we get to the refrigerator verse there. And it says this, 826 says, likewise, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God also helps in our weaknesses. So right there, that's good news that the Holy Spirit of God, do you know, he already knows our weaknesses. And he's not, he's not embarrassed about it. It's not like, oh, I didn't, my God, you, Uh, he's not shocked by any of our weaknesses. All of us have them. And right away, we know this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, and we all have them. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I just want to bring that out there. The Holy Spirit's not just praying for us, like he sees you in an issue and he's going, Oh, God, please help him. That's not intercession. He is actually the intersection. That's what the word means. He's the intersection between the will of God and your secret weaknesses. He's not dealing with the you that you project, he's dealing with the real you. He knows it and he's making intersection. He's become the intersection between you and God. So when you see the word pray there, don't think he's just going, Dear God, he's such a mess. Please help him. That's not the intercession here. He's making intersection happen between where you are. Now he who searches the heart, so he knows your secrets and he knows your weaknesses, he searches the heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And because this is true, because the Holy Spirit is standing and holding the very will of God and where you really are in your secret place, he is pulling that together. And because that is happening right as you sit, the rest of this is true. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know, why do we know all things work together for good? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is standing between the very will of God for your life And the place you really are, not the place you project, the real secret life you have, he's standing there and he's become, he's making intercession. He's making it, he's pulling it together. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit is the enforcer of the will of God? When God said, let there be light, the Holy Spirit's the one, his power just went boom. And the sun that's been burning for however many years, you know, if you took all the nuclear warheads that, that humans have made, and exploded them all at the same time, they would be equal to the power coming off the sun every four seconds. Man is not that big a deal. We can kill ourselves with nuclear warheads, but what the Holy Spirit did was moved by the power of God, and what we can make for four seconds, he makes for just eternally, that energy's coming off of there. That Holy Spirit, is the one that's that's standing between the will of God and you and saying, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to pull on you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to encourage you, but I'm going to hold on to you. So when, man, you've got that intersection between you and God's will for your life, he can come to your secret places. And that's what I want you to hear today. Those of you that are in secret battles and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I'm going to come, I don't don't know if I'm going to walk away from this. Folks, in this room that you've got discouragement that's wrestling against you and self-hate and self-disqualifying that's happening in your life, even as you sit here and you think, man, I, you know, I can quote the scripture. I know how to act churchy, but underneath I'm dying. You came to the right place today. God has brought you here, and you need to know it's not because this is a, a this is a good church. It is, but that, that's not what's What's great is you need to hear the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you're at, and he's holding on to you. Be encouraged by that. And he's holding on to the will of God. And, you know, we sing a, we sing a song, if I'm not dead, he's not done. I, I'll tell you this, even if you are dead, he's not done. Hallelujah. He can either raise you back to life or we can go straight on into eternity. I mean, this is just the pregame show here. I mean, really, this is the prelude to the movie. So, uh, but being, I mean, it's fun, but there's more to this. All right, so y'all picking this up. Just want you to feel this. The Old Testament the Old Testament equal to this would be out of Genesis 50 where Joseph tells his brother, what you intended for evil, what was a really stinky, terrible, awful time in my life, God turned it for good. And that's what I want you to hear today. The, the, the things you're battling with are just may be the greatest opportunity for you to actually know the grace of God. Pastor Randy, I can preach the the grace of God. I can explain the grace of God. Hallelujah, me too. But the way you know it, I love what Ephesians 3 says. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would know the height, the depths, the width of, of all the love of God. And basically through that prayer, he says this, that you would know the knowledge, that you would know love, which is unknowable. That's a weird prayer. I pray that you would know the love of God which is beyond knowledge. How do you do that? I believe what he's saying is this. I'm glad you can explain it, but you can't even come close to explaining how loved you are by God. I pray you would experience it so that you would go, I can't explain it, but I've run into it. I've run into it. that's That's what I'm praying happens for each of you today. So this all got started. Uh, this got started with me pondering one of my favorite pictures in Scripture. It's uh, Second, uh, Second Chronicles, not Corinthians. Second, there's a big difference there. Second Chronicles, 5, 6, and 7. And Glenn, you, you remember these days. When I was worship pastor here, Glenn was a care pastor and an elder here at our church many years ago. We were on staff together here. Both went off and pastored different churches. But during that time, the, the picture of 2 of Chronicles 5, and this is, this is Second Chronicles 5, 6, and 7. This is where Solomon has built this great temple. David's been dead for a while. David collected all the material. Solomon took him seven years to build this grand edifice, and it was an architectural wonder of the world. And Solomon's built the beautiful thing. People are coming from all over to look at this thing, and even some of the pictures that are displayed of what it looked like, the the, the craftsmanship. The goldsmiths, the silversmiths, the utensils, it was second to none. Solomon's temple was just second to none. And he builds this grand place, finally completes it. They get the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very presence of God, and those priests are coming in, trumpet out in front of it. Coming in, the presence of God, marching into this new temple, the house of God. They set that thing down gently. It says that the poles on the ark extended outside of the actual curtain. And that's because the last time they tried to carry it, they tried to carry it on a cart and a bunch of people got killed. So they said, we're going to put some long poles on this thing just in case. So They set it down there. As they set it down there, all the worshipers and all the priests, they come. And it says, without consideration of their denomination. In other words, the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Catholics and all the Charismatics, Methodists, they all came together and said, let's just worship our God. And they did. And then the worshipers started singing. And when they came into one accord, the scripture says, the glory of God came in a cloud so thick and so heavy that no one could stand. And they are laid out in the presence. I wrote a song years ago. It said, the the, the priest went in to worship. Singers and the instruments began to praise in one accord. A song ascending to the Lord. The temple filled with glory. The Lord himself made manifest. Man, and and the course of it was rain down your glory. Let us know your presence in the Holy of Holies. We will bow in honor as you rain down your glory. We will join a host of angels and the four and 20 singing holy, holy. Powerful picture. When we were singing the song, let your glory fill this place. Gang, you you need to know what your pastor is, is thinking. When I hear any song that we sing, Lord, fill this place, I'm saying to myself, pull the trigger, God. I mean, do it. Let fly. Do what you do. We've been praying and asking God for revival. All over this nation, we're praying and asking God for revival. What's it going to look like? I don't exactly know. I do know this. It's when God imposes his holy presence in a way that overrides the resistance of this human flesh and all of our religiousness to say, look, I appreciate you're trying to represent me, but sometimes you just got, you know, if you want a job done right, you just got to do it yourself. And God drops. And no human flesh can rise. No denomination can rise. No preacher can rise. Everybody's name means nothing in the presence of holy God. We are humbled and yet so excited. That's what happened when Solomon built this temple. And in chapter 6, he, he it's funny, he starts to describe, basically, he's smart enough to know, Lord, this is awesome. But if we blow it, will you still forgive us? And he starts praying a long list of, Lord, if we did that, will you forgive us? And Lord, if we wander off and get crazy, because you know how we've been, would you, would you save us? And if we do that, and he lists this whole long thing, a part of it you would recognize. Lord, if you shut up the heavens so that there is no rain and we come and repent, would you do it? And so in chapter seven, God answers. Solomon builds an altar and it happens again. The fire of heaven, God doesn't wait for him to light it. The fire of heaven comes and consumes thousands of sheep and oxen and all this, boom. And one more time, everybody, I mean, listen, if God answers by fire and blows these things up and I don't exist, it's a good sign for you to go on your face. (laughs) I'm just saying, I don't know a lot. That would be my, I'd be gone. I'd go out with a bang. I pray as we worship that we would sense that kind of power. So I'm thinking about this picture, and I'm picturing it, and I've, I'm telling you, I've spent years, I love this picture. And what caught me in pondering this beautiful temple and this awesome thing was what wasn't seen? What wasn't seen? What, what What's behind all of this? They're looking at this beautiful temple, and it's, all this stuff, and you would think, well, Pastor, God, God responded because of this beautiful temple. No, He responded because you know everything was just perfect and in order, and it was excellent. No, they were worshiping, and I do believe He responded to their praise. I would ask this: Where did the praise actually come from? Where did the praise come from? So we got this temple, and we got Solomon. Here's what I was thinking. Back in First Chronicles 21, before that temple ever existed before it was ever laid, David was directed by God to go and buy that mountain, go buy that site. Remember this? So this is the, the, the Ornan thing. What had happened was David uh, had gotten tempted by the devil. It says Satan came to confront and entice David, King David, and uh, he was going to use his pride. David, you're a big shot. You're, you're pretty awesome. You should get some awards and some trophies, and, you know, they should make a bigger deal of you on your events. And David, it started getting to David's head, and he said, David, have number all the people so that you'll know just how great you really are. And Joab said, David, don't you do it. You're going to get us all in trouble. You know it. David was thick-headed. Nope, I'm a great king. I want to know how many people. So he numbers all the kingdom. I got this many million here and this many hundreds of thousands of soldiers and all this. And David's just gloating all all over all of this until God showed up. Bad day. God shows up and said, I am unhappy with you. You have sinned. And Gad the prophet goes to him and says, David, you blew it. And David said, I did. It's a beautiful thing about David. David could blow it as big or bigger than anybody. But he would repent equally to go, "Ah, I did. I'm totally guilty. And God, a plague hits the city, and people start to die. And Gad says, "God says this: you can have uh, three years of your enemy—I mean, three years of uh, famine, three months of your enemy beaten on you, or three days under the under the wrath of God. You make a decision." And David didn't have to think about that. He said, "You know what? I, I would rather entrust myself to God. There's a chance he might just be merciful." That's what David said. There's a chance. And an angel appeared, the, the, the angel of wrath appeared and begins killing and killing and killing, approaches Jerusalem and goes and sets up over this place called the, uh, the, the the threshing floor of Ornan. Ornan was a Jebusite, not even a Jewish guy. Uh, the Jews didn't own this spot yet. This would ultimately be where the temple was, but... God tells him, you go and buy the threshing floor. You need to go, I'll say it this way. You need to go to the threshing floor, David, to make sacrifice. David approaches this threshing floor of honor. What's a threshing floor? It's a place where wheat is beaten so that what is good can get separated from what's wasteful, what's no good. Y'all starting to feel it? there's so much built that nobody sees nobody sees your secret places with God the threshing floor places not where God's mad at you beating him, but where something's happening nobody else can hardly know cuz they would so be disappointed but something is happening in the wrestling matches between you and God as the holy spirit bears down in holy loving conviction To say, this cannot continue any longer. I say this out of love for where your future is. I've come to bring the will of God, and that's not in it. And I'm interceding, and this is what intercession looks like. Intercession from your mama is like, oh, please, Jesus. Intercession from the Holy Spirit is, hey, you stop that right now. And he gets the job done. This was happening in David's life as he went to this threshing floor. And he sees the angel, and the angel's sword is in the air, and Ornan sees it. And David says, I want to buy this to make sacrifice. And Ornan's looking at that angel going, look, you can have the place, you can have my house, you can have my keys, you can have my car, whatever you need if you can get him to behave. And David said to him, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will pay you full price. And he pays full price and purchases this threshing floor. The angel still has his sword up saying, David, justice is me taking your head off. And so he burns all of the chaff and all the stuff that was on the floor. And I want you to hear that. So that there's nothing but ashes. Nothing but ashes of what was. He builds a sacrifice. And long before there's a temple and God answering by fire. God answers by fire right there. It's David, it's Ornan, it's an angry angel, and I don't know who else there's with him, but, but this is where he's doing business with God, and he repents, and God answers with fire on this sacrifice, blows it up, and then God says to the angel, put your sword back in its sheath. Another way of saying that is, I've seen the sin of David, But sacrifice has been made that's acceptable to me. I'm staying my judgment. Mercy. Mercy. Some years later, Abraham had taken his son up this same spot. God said, I I want you to sacrifice to me your son. That would be honorable sacrifice, something I'm worthy of. But before Abraham could get the knife and his own son, God grabbed his hand and said, no, no, I've provided a sacrifice. I provided the sacrifice, and a sacrifice was made that spared his life. Years later, up the same mountain, not in the same place, but the same mountain, God would walk up the same hill with his son, and Jesus would become our sacrifice. All this happening around here. Solomon didn't know that was coming. Solomon's sitting here looking at this thing, and gang, here's what I'm wanting you to, to, to hear. What looked like, there's at least three times in Scripture I would have fired David. I mean, a good religious person would have gone, ah, out, you cannot pastor, you can't be king, you can't be priest, you can't come to church, you blew it. I mean, David didn't just blow it little. David took his time. He was good at this. He blew it big time. But God didn't God didn't fire him. God said, Mercy. And God said, On this place where you came before me, on the ashes of your secret mess, I'm gonna build something beautiful and cover it. That's where that temple was sitting. What am I saying to you? I believe God's brought you here to know some of you are in private battles. Some of you would say they're so disgusting. There's no way. There's no way. And if you ask any good church person, hey, I'm doing this, I'm struggling with this, I'm tempted here, they would tell you, there's no way. You're a mess. So we've got this thing that we do. We judge people before God's done. We conclude when God's not done. Some things take years. Some, things, some, some of us struggle with particular sins for years. And a man will put an arbitrary timeline on it and say, well, you should have been in six months. You should have been done by now. You know what? This is the beautiful thing. What these singers kept singing, you know what they kept singing? His mercies never fail. His love endures forever and his mercy never fails. God is good and his mercy never fails. His mercy never fails. It's not like it's a river and it never stops. It's a river and it never stops. That's what it is. It's not a momentary, ah, I think I'll be merciful today. It's not like, it's 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 never fails. It never stops. It's always going. This beautiful temple was built on that. Can I tell you this? When I worship over here by Pastor Stacy, when I'm up with my hands, with we have a great band, and I'm thankful for it, but that's not why I worship. When I'm worshiping, it isn't because I like the songs, although I do like the songs. Some of you say, Pastor, uh, You know, they didn't play my song this morning. I couldn't worship. Please. You know what? When there is no band in here, I worship. You know what? And it has nothing to do with what you can see. It has everything to do with what you don't know. I worship because of what you cannot see. I worship because of what's happened between me and God and very deep. And secret places where only he and I know. And I know his grace has touched the depravity of who I am that may shock you. He's come to that place. And when I lift my hands when we're singing about grace, it's not because I love the song. It's because I actually recognize God from the secret place. You have been merciful to me. I have been on a threshing floor of Aruna myself where your justice would have been to take me out, fire me, kick me out, but you didn't. You showed me mercy. And I know that. I know that. There's things I know between me and God. Nobody else knows, gang, what I'm saying to you. What you're battling right now that feels like a defeat. Someday, some beautiful encounter with God, worship is gonna come right on top of that. You're gonna lift your hands and remember, I remember when I was down, but I remember when the mercies and grace of God came and the threshing floor came, and I am here by his mercy, God. I cannot not worship you. Beautiful worship comes from these places. Please, gang, hang in there. Whatever battle you're in, hang in there. The Holy Spirit's interceding and intersecting for you, even now, and you're gonna make it. Not only, you're, you're, you're going to do more than make it. He's going to cause everything to work out for good. He's going to do that because the Holy Spirit's working. So that's the one issue I had with this picture. And I wish I could have been there to say, Solomon, just so nobody forgets. Do you, don't you do forget what happened to your daddy. Don't forget. But then I got to talk to Solomon. The other part of this picture is Solomon is the one presiding over all of this. Handsome, debonair, Mr. Wise Guy, women everywhere. Got wives, He never met a woman he didn't marry. I mean, Solomon just... He really did. I mean, it's like, how do, you, how do you even know 300 wives and 700? You have to have people help you know just a handful of their names. Valentine's Day was catastrophe for him. <laughs> There's no way he wasn't in trouble all the time. Anyway. But think about... Think about who's presiding over this awesome encounter with God. How did, he, how did Solomon get there? Let's go back to daddy again. Let's go back to daddy. Solomon shouldn't even have been there by culture. He was at least fifth or sixth in line. Where he, was, he was down the road. He wasn't supposed to be there. Adonijah or one of the other brothers, the oldest brother was supposed to take the kingship. God told David. God said, David, it will be your son Solomon. He will be the king. I gotta even believe David went. Are you sure? Because Solomon was the, the product of another train wreck. Yeah. Where holy David, man after God's own heart, had a private battle going on. Nobody could see. Oh, in church, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. But when nobody was looking, he would run up on top of the house and scope the neighborhood, he had all the wives he could be with, concubines, and yet his lust, nobody knew about that. No prophet called him on it. He just secretly went up, opened the Internet, clicked on. I'm not beating anybody up, by the way. I want you to hear me. This isn't a beat-up moment, but it is real. I mean, and and that's what I want you to hear. The Holy Spirit's not here to beat you. The Holy Spirit is here to deal in the real places where you're at. And he's not here to shame you. He's here to get hold of you and say, look, your secret place may not be as clean as when you think secret place. It's where your secrets are. And here David, man after God's own heart, had secrets. And up to that roof he went until he lusted after his neighbor's wife, committed adultery with her, got her pregnant, had her husband murdered. I don't care how big your mess is. I just cannot believe you're in that big of a mess. And yet when the prophet approached him and said, David, you're the man. You you took some poor guy's wife and you got all, what? And again, he was quick to say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. He said, the the baby that Bathsheba, Bathsheba is going to have, that baby's going to die. But as soon as that baby died, David cleaned himself, went and worshiped. I believe he went went to the temple and worshiped. Amazing. And then he was with Bathsheba. And who would come from this adulterous affair? But Solomon. Why Of all the, the kings that could have followed David, I want you to hear this is what's in God's heart. Your secret mess and your secret battles your secret struggles, God loves you so much. He loves me so much, and he's so merciful. To show how merciful he is, that's the place he wants to go. Because you know what? Until you experience the grace of God, again, in church we're explainers. Get on the Internet, explain, explain, tweet, tweet, tweet. Everybody's talking, 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 talking about stuff they've never, they're just talking. There's a handful of opportunities that you and I have where we actually encounter God, and I wish it could say it's in the most glorious services, and you can. But I'm telling you, you don't know the grace of God till it runs right smack into the middle of your own depravity. Yes. Yes. When that intersection, have told this story multiple times about a buddy of mine, pastor, a pastor a friend of mine who we, we played music together. And he was, he was on staff at a church and married the pastor's wife and everything's going good, but my buddy had a secret. None of us could see. Underneath, he was struggling. In a secret, but he was struggling. Ended up having a, an encounter with one of the girls at the church, left his wife. Again, we were playing music together. He was a drummer. He left and our, our group said, where did he go? I mean, He just disappeared. We didn't know, couldn't find him. Two or three years later, we're playing at, at uh, Dr. Ed's place. And right after rehearsals are done, I'm sitting on the stage, and this guy comes walking up, comes walking up, and it's him. It's this guy. And he said, "He said this is his first sentence, Randy, you'll never know the grace of God till you've known your own, your own depravity. And he begins to describe to me how he, got into all kinds of sex, all kinds of bars, strip joints. He started playing and just sleeping with whoever and whatever. Now this is a pastor, a called pastor. So did God remove his call, calling? No. The gifts and callings are of, of God are without repentance. The anointing though that, that's another deal. But here he goes and he tells me, he says Randy, I'm in Canada. We've played a gig. I go into a strip bar to get drunk and do what you do at a strip bar. And the stripper comes off the stage, walks down to my table and asks, what are you doing here? And he said, what do you mean? What am I doing here? She said, you're a Christian. What are you doing in here? And he said, how do you know I'm a Christian? She says, because I'm a Christian. That's a shocker. She said, I just gave my life to Christ. It's a process, gang. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean it. When it's, when it's big and obvious like that's a little shocking. But have you noticed there's still a little work to be done on you yeah. and me? She said, God's gotten me off drugs. He got me out of prostitution. And he's going to get me out of here. So what are you doing here? You know what? That's what that is. That's the Holy Spirit saying, no, I got, mm -mm, no, you're not going. I'm not letting you go. I know you're in depravity. I know any other human would fire you. I know you think you're disqualified. Satan came to, to, here's what Satan's doing in your private battles. He's coming to say, you're disqualified. He doesn't want anything more to do with you. You are rejected. That's what Satan came to do to David. But God. God hasn't said, uh-uh, oh, uh-uh, uh-uh, oh, oh, no. Thank you, Jesus. I see your depravity, and here's what's going to happen. I'm actually going to build some of the most beautiful things out of what's most broken in your life because it's there that you actually know. Oh, you can explain a lot more, but you will actually know my grace and my mercies when your life absolutely depends on it. I want to encourage some folks in this room. I know you're in some struggles and you feel so shamed and so defeated, and right now it's ugly, you hang on. Am I condoning, just keep doing it? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying keep doing it. Get all the help you can, but I want you to know you've been brought here to, so that you know it is not over. The Holy Spirit will have the last word, and because the Holy Spirit's holding on to you, he has not, he has not rejected you. All things will ultimately work out for your good. They will not because of your disciplines, because of the power of the Holy Spirit interceding for you. These things all kind of rose up for me uh, over the the Jesus revolution. I'll I'll, I'll bring the plane down. I was watching the Jesus revolution and I knew a lot about the the, the Jesus movement. This is the revival that happened back in 1670. So go see the movie. I really encourage you to. Uh, In seeing that movie though, I, I knew a lot about the great awakenings, the other revivals. There was a character in the movie I'd never heard of a major character in this movie about the Jesus movement, Lonnie Frisbee. And uh, as soon as he came up and he was a, a young man, I, I bought his autobiographies and I've been burning through them as quick as I can. But as soon as his name came up, uh, Stacy Googles him and starts saying, Oh, he's this, he's this, he's this, and I couldn't keep up with both that and that, but she was just explaining, you know, uh, this is who he is. And, you know, this is where he got off and, Frisbee was raised, his first dad beat him and left. His stepdad rejected him. Uh, The next father figure he had was at eight years old, a babysitter, male babysitter, that he really liked and he really was expecting good from that would ultimately molest him. Molested him uh, Molested him at eight years old two weeks after he gave his life to Christ. As a child, God had his hand on this boy. He goes to all all the different sexes you can have. Back in that day, uh, guys, girls, whatever. He was not choosy. Uh, Got into the psychedelic drug scene. He was an artist, so he goes to California, gets into all kinds of the craziest stuff, but he meets Jesus, and he becomes a bit of a John the Baptist figure reaching people for Jesus, and he was huge in helping Chuck Smith And all that happened there in California, this movement, get going. He was reaching thousands, baptizing thousands. And Chuck, a pastor there, wanted this young man to do some submitting. He had a hard time with it. A little root of bitterness and rebellion, I think, planted there. Goes to a couple of other ministries, doing great things for God. Nonetheless, they put some requirements on him and some things happened. Ultimately, this this man that saw so many great things done by God uh, left, and and because of bitterness, everybody say bitterness. bitterness, bitterness. It sounds like a you know like a minor sin, a minor issue. Bitterness, once it gets set up in your heart, that is a gateway sin. Yes. It starts telling you, you know what? Because that happened to you, you might as well do, might as well have sex, you might as well do drugs, you might as well do this. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those permission-giving type things. It gets hold of you and opens the door. So a bunch of other things. This is exactly what happened to Lonnie. Lonnie goes to Brazil and uh, has, again, gets back into the free sex world, has some horrible things happen to him, gets strung out on cocaine until his money ran out. And Lonnie, this great, really this great evangelist, this John the Baptist of God, used mightily, Uh, And here's my take was, because he had such a bad run toward the end of his life, it didn't really look good in the history books for him to be associated with this great revival, because that's messy. Does anybody, wouldn't you love it if everything about God was in a straight line? (laughs) You know? The guy gets saved, he's filled with the Holy Ghost, he goes into ministry and he dies with a huge church and lost. Just a straight line. You think vision comes, then it's successful and hallelujah. Has anyone else noticed? Nothing goes in a straight line. Nothing's like, oh, God spoke to me and it was so easy and boom, it's like that. No, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, oh, backslide, oh, foreslide, oh, slide, slide, slide. It's not a straight line. I'm saying, I'm some of you need to know, you're not doing it wrong. It's hard. There is opposition. You, you're going to fall. That's, that's why he holds you by your right hand to say, even if you fall, I got you. Like a baby. We're dependent. Well, so Frisbee goes and gets into all kinds of things. And he said, you know, I still want to tell people about Jesus, but I never could get anybody. And he had all kinds of issues. All kinds of sin he got into, but after he came back and ran out of money, he he cleaned up. He had picked up. He, he had AIDS. Got AIDS from his activity, and he had about three years of life left. He didn't know it. He died at forty-three. But he said, in reading his book, uh, the latter years of my life are more anointed than the years that I had in the in the Jesus movement. And he was seeing thousands of people saved, not so much here as just everywhere he went until his body deteriorated. And one of his friends who tells a lot of this story brought him in to live so so he could tend to him. He and his wife were gonna tend to to Lonnie. And Lonnie died a slow death, but he said to move Lonnie in meant also to, to move in six or eight of his disciples who were also pretty weird. Because Lonnie was just, he was a reach whoever guy. You know what the world might not ever remember Lonnie Frisbee as a great man of God, because of his mess, because of his crash and burn, because of his secrets that crippled him for a period. But in heaven, if you need to borrow money, you probably want to go see Lonnie. I'm serious. I read his book and my heart goes out to him just just wanting to say, man. Please know, God loves you. He never lets you go. And even in your darkest breakdown, God is still building on your ashes. The Jesus movement has kept going. Great things have happened. He prophesied there will be another great awakening, and I believe we're going to get to experience it. And Lonnie Anderson will never, Lonnie will never be known. We'll never go, hey, Lonnie has something to do with it, and I don't know they will, but I'm just telling you, we're building on ashes of people that fought in their private battles Really, I mean, really, and trusted the grace of God, and God was faithful even in that. And Chuck Smith preached his, 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 his funeral and likened him to Samson, who is another messy guy. I just thought of all the messy people. Elijah struggled with depression. Samson struggled again, every dress that walked by. And, and he lost a lot of his life and a lot of his time. And Lonnie said, I'm right with God. I've reconciled with Chuck Smith, John Wimber, Bob Mumford. I've I've reconciled with the men that I got crossways with. But if there's not a miracle, the consequences of my sin are going to take my life. And they did. Man, that's as real and straightforward as as I can put it out there. God loves you and God wants to save you before your consequences take too much of your life. And he's not mad, but he is serious. And he's come today. He's always here. The Holy Spirit's here. And he brought you here to let you know, I want to build something powerful on top of this current mess. Don't you quit in midstream. Don't you disqualify you. You keep fighting. The Holy Spirit's fighting for you. Would you all bow your heads and just ask the Holy Spirit, what's he saying to you? What's he saying to you? While each person is praying, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, something inside of you is already screaming, wait a minute, how do I get saved? That's God, the Holy Spirit, that's his conviction. I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer. I'd like prayer teams to go ahead and take your positions, please. I just want to lead you in a prayer. That's a whole, it's a holy homesickness that's, that's stirring inside of you where you're thinking, something's wrong. How, what, what is wrong with me? That's the Holy Spirit inviting you to salvation today. This is your day, and you're going to be saved. So I'd like everybody to repeat this prayer with me, but you especially, whoever you are, if you're here and you need to be saved. You mean this when you say it, and you will be saved. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, repeating after me, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ. He lived for me. He bled for me. And he died for me to pay for my sin so I could be saved. And I believe you raised him from the dead. And today, I receive Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior, my forgiveness, my healer. And I surrender my life. I am all yours. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer and gave your life to Christ, would you proudly lift your hand to say, I gave my life to Jesus? Would you lift your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Lots of hands. Lots of hands. Yeah, let's 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 honor the Lord with that. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'd like I'd like everyone to stand. And I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. But here's what I want you to know. These people are up here, spirit-filled, godly men and women that are here to minister to you. And if you're in a battle right now, you'd say, "Man, Pastor, you, you don't have to say anymore. I know this is for me. If you're in a battle, don't leave here without l- letting these folks pray with you. Whether it's fear, whether it's sin, whether it's... I tell you, I, I just had this thing this morning. I know of some young mothers and have prayed with young mothers who have fears about their children. And I want you to know, if you're a mother in this room and you fear something, you just, more than normal, you, you fear something's going to happen to my child or something's going to happen to me and I won't be able to be there for my child. I want you to come and get prayed for. Let if, if you're dealing with fear or some temptation or some secret, you don't have to confess your secret. But come let somebody pray with you and somebody needs to know your secrets somebody. Not everybody, but somebody. So let me pray for you, and we're done. You come get prayed for, and we're going to call it a day. Father, we love and honor you, and we thank you that you've come to visit with us, and you've come to save us in our secret place, in our secret wrestlings, in our secret challenges, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that you come to where we really are and meet us where we really are, because you love us. And Lord, for every person that's in a threshing on a threshing floor right now wrestling out the mercies of God wrestling with something in their flesh that you're separating thank you that this is going on thank you that you convict thank you that you call us thank you that you're working in us and on us we appreciate it I'm thankful and I bless these precious, precious hearts and souls that you're building I thank you God you cause all things all of our secrets even to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, please make your way this direction. Let, let folks pray with you. Everybody else, y'all have a great, great day. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at the Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.